1: One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com.
0: Hey, welcome to the 376th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patrons Alexander Tarentiev, Steve Goot, Connor, and Cole Needham. I'm Matt Enlo. and I'm Warren Kaplan. And today we are talking about
1: the dual lives of many filmmakers. Matt and I specifically direct both commercials and narrative things. Matt is working on an episodic show. I'm pitching an episodic show, and also uh, about to shoot a kind of like an hour long branded piece. Uh, But coming off of just shooting some 15-second commercials last week and pitching on a 60-second commercial that I didn't get today. And so, yeah, I think we're all over the place. And I was talking to you before we were recording about how I'm pitching this episodic show with my friend Julie. And we've been rehearsing the pitch, and it's just so different than pitching a commercial. So different. And we thought, why don't we talk a little bit about the differences at all the stages, pitching, prepping, and shooting. We're going to skip post for today. We'll fix that part later. (laughs) Before we get into it, I just want to remind people we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash just shoot it pod. It's a place you can help support this podcast if you feel like you get anything out of it, which by the way, podcast listener Brenton Geyser, I saw he had posted on Facebook that he just got repped by this new company called the Invisible Collective, and it's his first rep as a commercial director. And I knew Brenton was a podcast listener because he'd actually hired me to do some screen replacement shots in this documentary he was working on. And when I saw that he signed with the Invisible Collective, which is Justin Polk's company who had been on our podcast and Jessica Sanders is on their roster too. And she's been on our podcast. I like wrote to him like, Hey, congrats. You know that actually the, the founder of that company has been on our podcast. Uh, and then I clicked the article, you know, usually when you sign with company, mm-hmm. you like press, a company, there's some press. Yeah. A little
0: black book article or whatever. So
1: I clicked on the article to read about it. And it said, Brenton first crossed paths with Invisible Collective after hearing Justin Polk, Invisible co-founder and director, on a podcast about filmmaking.
0: What?
1: So anyhow. Wow. My point is some people get something out of this
0: podcast like Brenton got ripped. Wow. That's pretty. That's a success story, man. That's pretty good. Way to go, I think
1: you would be surprised by how many of those types of stories exist. Like people hear someone on our podcast, Mm -hmm. like, you know, Tony Franklin told us he has like seven mentees that just contacted him after he was on our podcast. Thanks for the show. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, all those 10% pieces that we thought we would get when we connect people never came to be, but you can make up for that by joining our Patreon. Dollar a month, $2 a month, $16 a month. Check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash just shoot a pod. We appreciate anything you give us. It all goes to know our our editor and, you know, some other various fees we have to pay for.
0: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices Okay, let's get into it. I got a question for you, Warren. When you are on either side of this coin, whether you're working on a narrative project or you're working on commercial projects, do you let the other decision makers or stakeholders, do you mention that you do the other side? Do you do this this other work? Or do you just kind of let yourself seem like a specialist, like a person who exclusively does commercials let's say or really knows their way around narrative and that's their bread and butter the
1: other people that are on my side of the pitch or the other people that i'm no no no, no like
0: i'm saying just in general you've already gotten the job like do you bring it up are you like oh yeah one time i was doing this thing or that you know yes if i've already gotten the job i'm usually a pretty open book if i was pitching on
1: a narrative thing i would talk about my movies about my time at disney about episodic stuff about arcs about my favorite Mm -hmm. shows and movies and actors and twists and turns and setups and payoffs. You know, if they went to my website, they'd see it's like all commercials, which, you know, I used to have trailers and all sorts of other narrative things on there. But I basically, I I don't think a website does a ton for narrative filmmakers as much Mm -hmm. as it does for commercial filmmakers. So mine is very much committed to the commercial stuff. And just my about page mentions my narrative things. If I'm pitching on a commercial I would maybe say like, oh, I've, you know, if I've worked with an actor or something that we're talking about, I might say, oh, I worked with them before on a narrative thing or, you know, I don't know. It's funny because we have, you know, my friend Tom Morris, another director, he was talking about how his commercial reel doesn't have a lot of like suburbs, like people walking on sidewalks and streets and Mm -hmm. front yards, which sounds like so uber specific, but you know that in the commercial world like having people having a conversation on a sidewalk on a street is, is like almost a genre <laughs> into itself. Yeah. And if you want to get yeah. a job like, Oh, Hey, here's two neighbors talking over their hedges about. Yeah.
0: Two neighbors talking over their hedges is such a common it's a classic thing. Set yeah. for commercials. And especially yeah. car commercials. Like the, the comedy ones like, Hey, new car. Hey, yeah. new house. Hey, you know, like great lawn. It's a perfect comparison for, to people who have bought different products, right? It's just really cars. Obviously that's where you would
1: feature them usually in a driveway and yeah, lawn care, all that stuff. If you're talking to someone, it would be in a front yard usually, or even a backyard or maybe a barbecue. But Tom was like, yeah, I wish I had more of that for my commercial reel. But the irony is he's shot like four features and a lot of them have, you know, he's done
0: entire like car
1: chases and people running and things and all this stuff on streets and neighborhoods and everything. But when you're showing a commercial reel, you can't show a four minute scene from a movie, you know? So it it is in terms of a portfolio, it's tricky because unless you have a short that won Sundance and then two great commercials, Mm -hmm. you, then you would show the short. But if it was just like a short that played a couple like Nantucket film festival, it doesn't really help you much in the commercials. And if you have some really great, or slick commercials that are only 30 seconds. I don't know that it helps you that much in pitching yeah. a TV show, for instance.
0: I think uh, in conversation, I tend to talk about my narrative work to commercial, to like agency people, because they tend to be big fans of narrative work. Yeah. Right? Like they're consuming a ton of content. I mean, it's so cliche, but like they
1: all fucking love Wes Anderson. Like without... Any exception, <laughs> and so it's you like you can reference directors and things, and they'll they'll like them. But I think yeah, yeah, if you,
0: I don't know that it goes the other way around though. Do you know what I mean? Like if you were on a narrative set, you can be like, oh, well, I did this on a commercial one time for sure. But like, studio people aren't impressed that you're signed at Caviar or something like that. You right. know caviar is a bad example because they uh, yeah because they have like, well, but, like or yeah, yeah 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 but like they're not you, like you talk about your super bowl spot and they'd be like oh cool i think i saw that yeah you know? i find
1: this is like it's gonna maybe come off as like a little creepy or something or thirsty but i find that like when i'm working on narrative stuff and i'm also working on commercial things at the same time i know i I never go like, oh yeah, I'm shooting a commercial for Verizon right now or anything like that. But I'll be like, oh, I'm in New York right now. I'm doing, I have a scout tomorrow and that's why I'm here. And it's like just pre, pre feeding them the idea that I'm like Uber, I'm Uber comfortable on set demand people. I'm on, yeah, in demand to some degree. And people are willing to spend serious money to fly me around the country and the world. To do production 100%. type things, but I don't talk to them 100%. about the content. I almost try to throw it away and make it seem like, yeah. Oh, my day job is shooting million dollar commercials.
0: And, but right mm-hmm. now I'm want to do this hundred thousand dollar. I think that's exactly right. And look, I think it's always on a case by case because like some people like you could meet a real commercial nerd, you know, at your studio or someone who com- has a similar background and as comes from advertising or something and vice versa. Um, but I guess, yeah, it's, it's more common that advertising people because they all love yeah movies.
1: I'll stuff. say I've kind of noticed recently, like I've met some narrative filmmakers that also do commercials and when they bring up the commercials, they'll be like, yeah, you know, I mean, I kind of just like to make some money and like I kind of fell into this and like I want to do this or I just got this opportunity. Mm-hmm. Like they kind of downplay it to me and I'm like, you don't need to downplay it to me. Like, I think it's awesome. Like I love commercials, <laughs> you know. But I, I meet a lot of narrative people that are like embarrassed. You're the only person
0: it. I know who's like, yeah, I love commercials. Have you seen this latest spot or whatever? Like for them, un- unless they're purely in the commercial space. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I mean, I, I guess everyone I talk to
1: like on a regular basis is, you know, when we're talking about jobs, when we're talking about who, who's pitching things and what companies are involved mm-hmm. and what agencies. I feel like we all love commercials and we, like get excited, like ooh, it's like Sha- Shaquille yeah. on a cruise ship, like that's cool, like and I'm pitching this. I, I don't know.
0: Yeah, I mean we've talked about this before, but like, I
1: don't know. Why I called him Shaquille. I meant Shaq or Shaquille O'Neal, <laughs> just not just Shaquille.
0: You're, you're, I'm on you're first like name basis. of friends <laughs> with them, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you know, Shaq just felt too personal, but like he'd say hi to you in the hall. You have to like commercials to make them because it's too competitive otherwise. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I guess on that note, this episode,
1: I apologize. I'm going to like brag a lot, which I, or humble brag or whatever it is. I don't mean to be like this, but I feel like I have gotten really good at pitching on commercials and not, I don't mean necessarily the treatment part of it. I mean, the phone call part of it. And it's something that we've all learned, you know, over the past three years, for those of you that don't know, it used to be when you pitched a commercial, you'd get on a phone call and you would hear each other, you know, you'd say, okay, now go to page four of the PDF. Now go to page five of the PDF. Uh, And it would just be a conversation, an audio conversation. But as Zoom and Google meet and all that stuff came to be now the de facto standard, I mean, and not just for pitching, like literally like I had a meeting with my accountant today and he's like, here, I'll send you a Google meet you know, and we're talking about our taxes, like there's nothing, we're not sharing screens or anything. It's just, like, there's no reason for us to see each other other than to maybe make sure we're paying attention. But I've gotten, I think really good at the meeting and like, I've gotten feedback recently. And again, I, I I'm not saying this for your sake, cause it's annoying to say, but I have gotten feedback recently from a few producers that are like, Oh, you give really, <laughs> really good meeting. Um, which I've never heard that term and it sounds oddly
0: sexual, but I, well, but I enjoy you it. give good X. I think is a is a common structure for being cheeky. But yeah. you know. you give good dinner like date. The you give you give good parents. Oh, you give good car wash a song. It's what I told the yeah, guy yeah. washing my
1: car the other day. Mm-hmm. I went yeah. to the car wash without a car. I just walked through the car wash and then I said that to him. Yeah, sure. The greasy stranger <laughs> over here. <laughs> uh, um. <laughs> but uh, but so I feel like I've gotten really good at the. At, and I've talked about this on the podcast before, just acknowledging everyone on the Zoom. Sometimes there's like 12 people mm-hmm. and just be like, who mm-hmm. are you? What's your name? What you? Acknowledging like what my background is. Everyone, I have a mirror behind me. Everyone mm-hmm. thinks that there's somebody sitting behind me and like about a minute into every conversation, someone's like, oh, I thought there was someone behind you. I'm realizing it's like your reflection. So there, I always have like a little bit ready for that. I've even like on some pitches, like I pitched on this dog toy thing and i Put port. My wife used to paint portraits of dogs. So I put like some dog portraits behind me. I've become, I think, like really good at listening uh, as mm-hmm. I'm talking nonstop and plucking things that people are
0: saying and then re-saying them in my sentences, echoing it back to people. Oh, I love this point. I love that point. So, so you've you've outlined a number of skills that um, I think do transfer into the narrative world: uh, active listening, being attentive showing people a little bit of personal uh, time and really kind of digging in and showing some interest. All that stuff I think is, is valuable. And that's,
1: and that's to show them that you are like a collaborator. You're not a tyrant, Mm -hmm. but you also are coming with ideas. Like, Oh, I love what you said about
0: that, um, about showing people that you're listening to them. There is also a little bit of warm up, you know, like because we're in a video chat, it's a different deal than like walking from the waiting room and, Having some water, and the assistant says hello, and everyone kind of finds their spot at the table. It used to be like when you were pitching a show or just having a general meeting, there was kind of a natural flow that warmed people up, yeah, you know like you, that you knew you weren't supposed to talk any real business until everyone was seated. so the journey from wherever you were waiting to that room is your warm up space, you know, like mm-hmm. how was your weekend? Chit chats sort or of right. stuff all that's gone now, right? Yeah, I mean, and you so do it on easy the Zoom. To just yeah. kind of you do it on the Zoom, right? But but what I'm saying is, is that the the um signals aren't as clear or aren't as delineated, and so it would be easy to just kind of jump straight into things without learning who people are or like you know, again, just acclimating people.
1: Right. And, and I and I try to be really honest about that. I'll say like, oh, you know, Brent, I I don't know if I've met you before. Who like whose team are you on? Like I'll try to know the players, you know, if I, if we didn't do the intros, a lot of times there's an intro and then I do also like, I try to detect the like awkward pause of, so are we going to start? And if, Mm -hmm. if it lasts for more than two seconds, I'll say something like, so you want to dive in? You know, I loved your brief. You want to walk me through it? Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah, I'm really excited. I know everyone's really busy. I'd love to get started. Let's do this. Yeah. Yeah. And even more specific, I'll be like, you know, is it cool if I share my screen or do you want to tell me a little bit about how you came up with that idea? Like I'll try to give some sort of prompt of where to go. A lot of times, you know, we'll be on calls with producers that are doing that. They're driving the show for us. But I try to I guess I just want want to avoid all awkwardness (laughs) on every call so that the people I'm talking to feel comfortable with me as like a potential collaborator for the long run and by the way one other tip i'm actually curious if you do this or not but if it's in any sort of important meeting recently i'd say like last six months i'll use my mic the mic i'm using now my podcast mic oh interesting i don't i'll say i have two reasons for it Mm -hmm. maybe three one is so we use these condenser mics right these audio technica these at2020 Mm -hmm. mics they are we put our mouth really close to them. So the signal to noise ratio is really high. So if there's a lawnmower or a kid yelling in the background or a car or construction, yeah. they're really good at they, focusing on our voice. Yeah. Other people get it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, number two, I can swing it away from my mouth. You know, like if I take a, a drink of water or something, but more importantly, a lot of times I'm typing, you know, I'm like looking something mm-hmm. up or I want to make sure I'm pronouncing someone's name, right. Or someone referenced something and I forgot about it and I'll look it up. And I want to make sure that the clicking of my keyboard isn't being picked up by the microphone that's usually on closer to your webcam or on your desktop, your laptop or whatever. And then number three, I have heard. Well, do you put yourself on mute? Or I do put myself on mute, but when I'm presenting or I'm like the main person kind of leading the meeting, I try to not because... I I really like giving people reactions, you know, like I like
0: Mm -hmm. laughing and being like, oh, yeah, oh, totally. Me, too. Yeah. I mean, uh, just listeners at home, I want you all to hear what it sounds like when I'm typing on my keyboard. So like, hey, Orin, this is a boy, this is such a great meeting. You know, uh, I really do love so and so's work. What was that movie that they did? Well, you're typing like extra loud, though, right? No, I'm not. You're not? No, I I have one of those. Uh, it was actually your keyboard. Oh yes, yes. Um, that, you, it's it's like a high tactility, like springy keyboard, which I love. Oh right. But I often will get uh, roasted for. Um, I can't hear you typing at all. No. Um, I'll get roasted for <laughs> people being like, "Did you drop your mic on top of a <laughs> keyboard that right. you're just slapping?" Yeah. Well, so I bet if you're not using your podcast mic, it's even louder.
1: And I have this mouse. I love it. it. I've endorsed it. The MX, the Logitech MX3 mouse. I think you told me. But the click is really loud relative to like a magic mouse or something, or even a trackpad. So that was like one of the first things because I want, I never want someone to think I'm not paying attention to them. It's like very important to me, whether I'm Mm -hmm. pitching or see, you know, like getting briefed or doing auditions or whatever. But the last thing and this is kind of funny, but people do say, sometimes they're like, wow, your voice is like so crisp and clear and loud. And it's because I'm mm-hmm. talking like right into the mic. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. half an inch yeah. away from my mouth. So for all those reasons, I personally, for anything important, use a microphone. And I wonder if I didn't have a podcast and didn't have this mic set up here all the time, if I would do that too, but I, I would, I would recommend it. I think it's kind of nice. I probably like maybe, For a a more casual pitch, I kind of would distance it from my mouth a little bit like Mm -hmm. this, but I would still use it especially so I can look up. And this pitch I wanted to tell you about today, I'm pitching with another person. So when you are not the only person speaking, you're taking turns, you can kind of be looking things up while the other person is speaking. And that's like another reason. Or take
0: a sip of water or whatever, and you can swing the mic away. You can also... I know this because we do it in podcasting. Not only can you hit mute, but like if I'm show if I'm trying to indicate, like, oh, it's Oren's turn to talk, I would lean back mm. and like not be so close to the mic. And I think that that subliminally shows people, like, oh, okay, I'm listening right now. But when I have something to say, I lean into the mic to show people, like, I'm going to chime in in a right. second. Um, we use that technique when we're interviewing someone so that. I can try and get a word in edgewise mm-hmm. um, and then I can be like, oh, you ignored the the mic move again. Okay. Yeah, that's funny. Um, great. He's asking for tips and tricks. Cool. Um, you know, I'm
1: working on this project now for Pinterest. I think I talked about it before, but it's, they, they're really into Microsoft Teams, like every meeting is Teams and mm-hmm. they have, uh, mm-hmm. there's like a lot of people on the call sometimes and they have like a raise your hand thing. I guess Google Meet has mm-hmm. that too. Maybe they all yeah do. i
0: think i think most of them, them do yeah. they're
1: the only people i've seen use it like someone will present it's really corny <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's really really corny <laughs> yeah it's kind yeah. of funny but it works and like yeah alexa you have a question matt you have a question someone say yeah. you have a question yeah
0: yeah it, i started doing it instead like of interrupting pretty embarrassing corporate sort of stuff but yeah i think it's worthwhile but you can't do that when you're pitching right like if it's you and your partner and you're both kind of like tossing the ball back and forth it's not like you're talking about character and then your partner goes like does the virtual hand raise to be like i'd just like to add that this character their backstory is x y and z you know um like it needs to feel more organic but If her and i are going back and forth non-stop with no pauses
1: and the person we're pitching to has a question and they don't want to cut us off that yes. of like that it would work then that's what it works and i for. by the way that's like my other tip is like pay attention to the chat Uh, because I, Mm -hmm. a lot of times people, if you're on a big meeting, someone will like make a joke or write a comment about something you just said. And personally, I always acknowledge them. I'm like, Oh, you know, Roger said that he like that Mm -hmm. happened to him once. Like, sorry, Roger. I I just, anything you can do to make it seem to include people yeah, yeah, more inclusive, do it. Even if it's like the intern or whatever, they might be the tiebreaker at the end of the day of whether someone wants to give you a job or not. But I want to talk real quick about the pitching. So, the way I, I pitch commercials, and then I want to hear obviously your take on this. Sorry. I'm oh, not oh, really. <laughs> not really. I'm just saying that to make you feel included. Uh, okay, cool. <laughs> the way I pitch commercials. Yeah, I'll just
0: raise my hand virtually next time.
1: I have a treatment, right? It's like a PDF, a Google Doc, a video, whatever it is. I share my screen mm-hmm. and I just take them through. Yeah. And, and the way I design my treatments is it's they're image based, right? So it'll be a 40 page treatment and I'll have an image on ca- on performance and tone. And I'll say like, it, it'll be a picture of Zoe Saldana walking down a hallway and I'll be like, you know, I, and I'll tell him why I chose that picture. I'm like, you know, like a Zoe Saldana type, like, you know how she's kind of like, like, can be kind of quiet and nice and like intellectual, but then she can turn into like a badass in like two seconds. Um, And I think that that, like the turn will be like that. So I'll talk about the image. I won't talk about the text at all, and then I'll be like, okay, locations, you know? um, So you guys all know this, uh, like the spaceship from Dune or whatever. Uh, And I'll, and I'll have the pictures. And what I'm talking about, they're looking at the images and I'm describing why they're looking at those images and I'm walking them through direction wardrobe script
0: you know when i do the Mm -hmm. script breakdown i'm like okay we're going to open up on a close-up of this person but you're not you're not just to reiterate so you've got an image and then you've got a a block of text that says tone or Mm -hmm. whatever you're telling them why they're looking at the image i love that are you pulling key terms or threads or or anything from the text or no Mm, the title of the page i'm pulling
1: and Mm -hmm. then like this last pitch that I did yesterday. Uh, So the brand brand identity in their brief to me when they're like, hey, we're talking about this brand. And these are four words that are important to the brand. We think of the brand as sophisticated, trustworthy, Mm -hmm. modern, and it has personality. It's not, it shouldn't feel boring. And so I said to them when I was talking about casting, I was like, oh, I love, literally your brand tone is like how I would Describe the person that I think we should cast. Someone that's sophisticated, mm-hmm. and by sophisticated, I mean that's like they dress mm-hmm. a certain way, They're, they have a certain posture. Right. But I'm I'm asking you specifically. Right, right. So, so, like, so, I, I'm I, gonna, I so my answer to that right. is in my text, I had those four words embedded in the text, and I bolded them and made them a different Both color part. so that when I'm presenting it, I remember to like touch on those four items. Mm-hmm. But I don't like I don't ever. Read anything, even if I have a joke. Like I had yeah. some explosion GIF or something in my treatment yesterday, sure. and I I had some text saying like this brand loves explosions or whatever. But and but I'll make a different. I'll rephrase that text. I never mm-hmm, ever ever mm-hmm. read
0: off of a treatment or presentation yeah. or anything intentionally. So so I have been under that school for a long time. Yeah, use it as a reminder. You know, maybe I would throw... It's like a slideshow like when
1: you're presenting it. But, but you need to make it work also as a readable document without you
0: presenting it. Correct. And then um, I'd worked with some companies where, like, they would just literally read the, the text. That's, and like, not would, a good presenter, though, right?
1: Like, objectively. Sure. As viewers, when you're on a call, because I've tried to read the text. Like, I literally, I mm-hmm. was in a meeting the other day when someone was presenting a page to us and they were reading the text. And I was literally trying to read along with them, but all I can do is like look at the image on the page.
0: Look at the image. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Your, our brain is, doesn't, I, I think, is, has trouble with what's that. What's tricky is that the, the presentation is for the people in the room, but we all know that there are other people who. aren't there for whatever reason where this document is going to get sent to them or they're going to need to be reminded of what you say. So if, I'm not saying that you need to have it verbatim or even that I have a a hard and fast opinion on this, but there is an issue when the the difference between what you're saying and what is written is so vast that it doesn't even really... Match beyond maybe the core intent, I think is a little tricky. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and the, I I don't mean
1: that like I always am pitching the same thing that I wrote, but I'll mm-hmm. write, in but the copy is different. in prose. Yeah. Like I'll I'll say for instance we'll do this, and then I'll put in a joke, and I'll put an asterisk in a footnote yeah. about that thing. I, When I pitch it out loud, I like I I leave those jokes for the reader. Later, I mean, I pitch a lot sure. of comedy, right? Yeah, so yeah. But I'll give you an example, like the Rebel Wilson thing. I would write it when I describe a shot, like for a commercial. I'd say, like, we open up close on Rebel's face. The camera slowly pulls mm-hmm. back, and we realize that she's holding something above her head. We and the camera continues pulling back, and we see it's a metal pole, potentially like helicopter skids. We start seeing her hair moving in the wind. You know, um, and I, I just kind of paint the picture in words, but the way I pitch mm-hmm. it, that's like really boring to read out to someone. I'd say the way I would pitch it out loud in person is I'd say like, so I thought it would be awesome if, if Rebel's doing something like really action movie-ish in the beginning, you know, like mm-hmm. hanging off a helicopter. So we open up on her and I like literally would act it out. I put my hands up in the air and I'd be like, and she's holding on to like this helicopter skids and the camera's pulling and out.
0: you're using the frame almost to like replicate like a thumbnail version of what the actual shot with yeah the, so like know. we have a shot in there where she picks up a knife a
1: charcuterie knife and throws it and the camera you know like robert rodriguez style spins and sideways and i have like an image mm-hmm. like an animated gif of that in the treatment but when i pitch it in person i have my laptop and i t- turn my laptop camera to show them like what the mm-hmm. move would mm-hmm. look like so i'm almost like ignoring the treatment to, at some parts at the parts that i can act out on camera i mm-hmm. try to do that and i just find that that like when you're ducking, when a character's ducks, ducks or whatever, it just um, feels like more visceral and people are watching you almost more than looking at You're performing. Yeah, yeah you're performing. So yeah. to switch to narrative though, so this, so I feel like I've kind of got a lock on the commercial pitching, not that mm-hmm. I win a lot or even like most times, but I feel like the meeting itself is always recently, like the last year has been pretty good. Uh, but I'm pitching literally beat by beat, detail by detail, and really in, in commercial pitching, mm-hmm. it's really detailed, right? This is the wardrobe. This is the casting. This is like the location. And this is I thought
0: the door would be this color and this would be this. Yeah, color. I, I think I think the thing that's tricky about this conversation is that most of the things that you've said so far, even breaking down like a sequence, like an important sequence in a film. I think you could do that sort of work of explaining like this is how the intro works or this is how the the finale works or whatever. But what we're leaving out is that you've described maybe like 15 seconds, seven <laughs> slides out of out of 40. And that there's a lot of like, here's the current brand color palette. This is how the set would work with that. You know, a lot of stuff that's really, really, really in the weeds that um, you can't, you just literally can't do for a feature. Right you can't prep in the amount of time that you would have. And also like, well, it's the presentation your, time your meeting would, is the exact yeah. same. That's the hard
1: part. So a 30 second commercial, I would pitch in about 20 minutes in a six hour, 12 e- half hour episode, seasonal arc of this YA show. I'm also trying to pitch in 20 minutes. And that's where the problems arise because I tried to practice pitch this with Julie. And I felt like I was really on fire in the beginning. I'm like, this is the, This is what it's about. This is the theme. This is the location. This is Mm -hmm. like, it's a show about fairies, right? But we call them fae, not fairies. And a little bit about like how we treat the subject matter and these parallel worlds that exist. And then we go into the characters and gets a little muddier, right? Because we're just, Mm -hmm. you want to know a little bit more about each character. You want to know what their defining traits are and some examples of how those traits mm-hmm. are shown, and you want each character to segue into the next character naturally. So you're not just making a list of characters. You don't want to be like, so then we sure. have Matt. He likes to wear hats. Then we have Oren. He talks yep. too much. We want to be like, and Matt's podcasting partner is Oren, who pisses mm-hmm. him off all the time, and that's why he's been taking it out on his yard. Um, and so there's a little bit more storytelling in the characters, but then once you get into the story outline. That's when we completely fell apart because yeah. I pitched the pilot, yeah. which took me a long time because I kind of, I feel like there's all these important pieces to set up. And then we have 11 episodes left and we're like at 25 minutes into the pitch. And I'm like, I don't know where we go from here because we still have so yeah. much more to cover. Yeah. And so I, I want to, I, I kind of have, I, I know the conclusion to where we got to of how to, how to pitch this 12 episode show, but I, mm-hmm. I'm curious I've been talking a lot. I want to give you a chance to tell me how you break down a pitch. Given that you have like twenty to thirty minutes to pitch in twelve whole episodes.
0: Yeah, yeah. So pitching an entire season of something is really tricky, right? And Um, but it's kind of on par with pitching a feature, right? Because you're pitching like the whole two-hour story. And also, similarly, you're pitching a pilot, right? Like, unlike with uh, commercials, the core difference is like. Really, commercials are a lot. It's a, it's not just what your voice is and what you're bringing to the table, but how you're going to execute it. And with narrative, it tends to be the assumption that you can execute. Otherwise, you wouldn't be in the room in the first place. So it's specifically really what's the take. It's really more of a writing meeting than it is totally. a directing or producing meeting. Right. So that that's the first thing. Yeah.
1: And in all these, as a director, as a writer, commercial or narrative, I'd say we're always... The main thing we're pitching is tone and Mm -hmm.
0: ourselves as someone you should trust to do this thing, to make this thing. So unpacking that, right, a little bit, when you're saying you've got 20 or 30 minutes and you're pitching tone, I think as a younger filmmaker, I would get into the specifics of how I execute the tone. What does that mean tangibly? And the more time I've spent with people who frankly aren't, their area of expertise is not technical. Not production, necessarily. Not production. But there's they sell stories. You need to show them how how you're going to sell this tone. And 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 show them that you understand why that tone is important and makes sense and and that you understand when I say scary, I mean this flavor of scary and not that flavor of scary. And that we all want that to be the same thing. But if you say anything close to technical jargon you've lose them or you're wasting your breath, right? Mm -hmm. Like you can say, I I got these cool vintage lenses. Maybe if you wanted to like to add some texture, even that is like frankly too technical. So like, it's really like, what, what are the ways in which you can bring the creative to life in a way that's specifically you, that's what you have to live in. Whereas I would go much, much, much deeper on those nitty gritty aspects in, in a commercial. Right, because we're really talking about six hours versus 30 seconds, right? So understanding character, understanding those obstacles. So pitching a pilot and pitching a season, you know, are not totally disparate. Let me ask you, when you're talking specifically about this project, have you sold, uh, have people bought in on this season or are there people who are coming in fresh who don't know a ton about the project yet? Well, so,
1: so we have this project works in three steps, right? We wrote kind of, we made a deck. We actually recorded, made a a podcast proof of concept, a pilot, which is completely a hundred percent thrown out the, into the trash can by this point, but it was what got our, our foot in the door and got us to develop this project. And we showed them a deck that was probably like a 30 or 40 page deck that had tone and setup and story and kind of where we wanted to go and end. But it, we had, I think it split up into three acts. We're like the first three episodes, will cover mm-hmm. this. The next three episodes will cover this. The next three episodes will cover this. And then off of that, we got a deal. The deal was we get paid to write an outline, a 12 episode outline, and pretty detailed. So our, our outline right now starts on page 13 and ends on page 46, but this is, this is in a deck format. So a lot of mm-hmm. these pages are just full page images to kind of give you tone. This is not a Word document. Not a Word document. Yeah. It's a yeah, Google slide yeah. document. And then if they like this, then they will pay us more to write the pilot. And if they like the pilot, mm-hmm. they'll pay us more to write the remaining 11 episodes. But here we have all 12 episodes. And by the way, 12 is a number that came from them. They said we want basically 12 20-minute episodes. Um, mm-hmm. So we have the 12 episodes pretty much every single scene written out in this th- in this mm-hmm. presentation. So that's why it's like hard to present because we want them to know what it is and my writing partner Julie, she actually took a, a course recently like an online course of how to pitch shows. And mm-hmm. what she was told in that course, which I thought was great, a bunch of great stuff about characters and themes and setting it up, but in terms of pitching the story was pitch the pilot, pitch the ending yep. and pitch yep. Choose
0: like three to five set pieces. Beats. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what I was going to say. And with the addition of um, making sure that there's causality and that you see that character growth as well, right? So it, it can't just be like this thing happens and then this cool set piece happens and I'm so excited about it. It's going to sound awesome or this or that or whatever. They have to show the character growth and convey at least the basic beats of the plot, right? Basically what I mean is, and this is something that I've been constantly relearning my entire career but a lot in the show that I'm currently working on. If you don't have narrative causality, people tune out. It's a hard fact, right? And so what I mean by that, it's it's the South Park rules is the easiest way to explain it. If your characters are going through different beats, and then, and then, and then, doesn't work. Your character wants something, they do something, but and therefore. That's how it works, right? So Oren wants to eat a sandwich, so he, therefore he goes and makes a sandwich. But he's out of mayonnaise, so he's got to go to the store. Right? So he's at the store, he's looking for the mayonnaise, but he runs into his ex-girlfriend. Like that's that is a story. The the things between that, if you don't if you don't have that you, you do lose people. I'm saying, even if you boil it down to five beats, you gotta make it those. If your setup is good, then mm-hmm. people you can leave out a lot and jump to a scene sure. in the middle.
1: Like yeah, if yeah, you're yeah. saying your you, movie
0: is, you shouldn't go like, oh, Orin makes a sandwich and uh, and in trying to get his sandwich, he ends up at this place. Right, but I, I, like you can fast
1: forward yeah, through things. For the sure. the sandwich example, is it's hard to latch onto because it's so. Uh, specific and minor, but like, so my show, it's about this girl, this high school girl that it, it has some bone, like some weird growths coming out of her mm-hmm. back. Um, and we know that eventually these wings are going to sprout out of her back, and, but we set up kind of her, she's kind of become, she's an outcast because she's kind of uncomfortable with her body and all these things in school. And she befriends this other outcast that everyone knows is like this bad boy that just transferred schools. Nobody everyone kind of has heard shady things about him. And then this girl at the school dies and everyone is 100% sure a hundred percent sure he's a killer. And sure. this is a guy she's yeah. been getting close to. Uh and so they have this and her father also happens to be kind of like a low level police officer on the force who would like love to move up to detective and manage to help solve this case. And he wants his daughter to have nothing to do with this this get kid so they're kind of sneaking away when she's hanging out with him and in the Mm -hmm. third episode is like when her wings come out for the first time and she is trying to hide them from everyone so she has to like run away to her house with this Mm -hmm. guy who she's trying to keep away from her dad but also not show him the wings so she's kind of like you know they're about to kiss and she feels a sharp pain in her back and she runs and slams the door shut she's like you got to go and he has no idea what's going on like I think you can pitch that scene and the setup and there's so many scenes that happen in between that Sure, that 100%. Not-
0: but we, under, we understand the character motivations and we understand what's keeping them from getting what they want mm-hmm. and why they're making those decisions. So it all makes sense and is causal. It's just when if you leave out those character motivations and if I, the, the bad version of that pitch is like this girl, she's maybe she's going to have wings and then she's about to kiss this guy. And then her wings pop out. Like you, you miss out on all of the stuff that makes it right. The stakes and imp- the stakes. Yeah, exactly. But you can't have stakes without that causality.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. And, and all I'm saying is like that causality can be kind of character based and big. It doesn't have to be as like, um, uh, Plot yeah, based. plot based. That's like he's animated. Yeah, yeah. and so and once you set up the things correctly, so now of course we know that at some point her dad is gonna find out mm-hmm. about this. The the guy that she you know that she has this relationship is gonna find out about the wings. There's gonna be some scene where she learns how to fly. That's gonna be you know unsuccessful in some ways, and so I think we you can start seeing in your brain how these mm-hmm. various the big- moments are gonna add up and be fun, and then. Somehow she's going to help prove this guy's innocence um,
0: and realize that the killer was actually after her instead of after this yeah. high school girl. And what's tricky is that I think the further into the show you get, the more you kind of want a yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. You're like, OK, well, so obviously she's going to fly at some point. Right. I mean, then, in a pitch, I wouldn't yada, say yada, obviously, yada, yada. But yeah yeah but but like and then you fast forward to the moment where of course this happens or that happens beats that you can anticipate happening but without that connective tissue and it is if you do that too much you do you do just start listing set pieces right and that's not a story yeah and that's that's the tricky part right that's why you want more time that's why it's it's whittling down what are the Pertinent details that get the viewer in, or the listener invested the whole way through with the amount of time that you have. A lot yeah.
1: Of. And in the commercial treatment yeah. in the commercial pitch, the reaction will be like, wow, you've thought of every detail, you know, and that's like a good mm-hmm, reaction. Mm-hmm. And a the narrative pitch, you want them to be like, wow, you're a good storyteller. I can't wait to find out mm-hmm, what, you know, I, mm-hmm. I want to know more. Uh, And so in the commercial pitch, it's about giving them all the details and showing them we've thought things out and listen to them. And in the narrative one, it's about giving them just enough to know the story and Mm -hmm. to want more. And it's, those are two kind of different skills that I'm, I I have another practice tomorrow and we're basically going to keep practice pitching it because my writing partner doesn't pitch commercials at all. So. Mm -hmm. I think I'm pretty good at like just riffing on random things that I see. But the other issue, which is so easy in commercials is I'm pitching the image. But when we're doing this Mm -hmm. narrative stuff and so many things are happening and we have pages that are just hundred percent text, I don't know what to show on screen while I'm pitching those set pieces. Yeah. And my treat, my deck is not built out to be odd verbally pitched. So some of my images, when we were practicing, they're like not really in the right order. Like I'll pitch a, A flying set piece and there's a girl on a phone you know
0: as commercial filmmakers we've talked about this before because our our skills in creating decks and showing the visuals paired with you know our presentation and then also with great copy that becomes a superpower that helps us stand out and i think like when we trade decks around when you see a deck from a person who does commercials who's pitching their feature it's just a totally different class of creative than a person who's just a Born and bred writer, you know, you're just like, oh, okay, this is, we just have a totally different wheelhouse. Right. And that's, you know, writers are great at writing. So, like, yeah, it makes complete but sense. But even
1: you were saying, like, that it's interesting that I even have a deck to pitch this show because usually we'd pitch, you know, even yeah. three years ago, we'd pitch you, a show in like a Word an, document.
0: An outline. Yeah. yeah. An outline you know? should be a Word document. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, and by the way, you know, we're pitching with Temple Hill, who's pitched like a bunch of show they created, they made mm-hmm. Twilight and Maze Runner on all these things. And, Because we said to them, like, are we going overboard with all these images and things? Um, And they're like, no, we think this is like really this is really selling the tone helps. But yeah, the funny thing is we're not we're pitching a podcast. (laughs) There are no visuals, but we're using images to pitch the audio show. And the only Mm -hmm. real difference is that we have like a few sample scenes written out and we don't like read them out loud or anything. But we say, hey. Like right at the beginning of the story, here's a sample scene. So the the main character, Nikki, her best friend from high school, part of the reason she only had basically one friend. They were like kind of the two outcasts and she moved to Japan. So now she's like on the other side of the world. And my dad lives in Israel. So I know what it's like to be like exactly like, you know, half a day apart from someone. And 90% of our communication is done through voicemail. And this is how she communicates with her friend. And we get a lot of the inner monologue and a lot of the inner thoughts from listening to the voicemails she leaves for her her best friend who lives on the other side of the world. And so we try to like plant some of the audio techniques we'll use to tell the story and show some inner monologue in ways that are hard in podcasts because they're mm-hmm. not novels. There's not a lot of first person narration and they're not there's no visuals where you can see people doing things and thinking about things. So we try to do a
0: little bit of that, but still in pitching an audio play, which is a way of saying like, "Oh, I'm illustrating the things that we're doing in a unique way." Whereas, like, which w- you would do, I think, in in any sort of narrative pitch, like, "Oh, let me explain what bullet time is." Even though, like, you've seen plenty of cool kung fu fights, right. like if you're pitching the Matrix, or like, or have you seen you the know?
1: Time Traveler's Wife? I haven't. Actually, not. I don't care much for the movie. The book is like really incredible, but. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. People love it. It's about this guy who time travels to, he doesn't control it. He like spontaneously time travels to different times in his life. So he might be 35 and he's time traveling to when he was 62 or to when he's seven and he's in a relationship with this woman, Claire, and sometimes he'll go to, he's 50 and she's seven or he's 50 and she's 70. So every chapter title is like, I forget his name. Let's say it's Ben. It's like Ben 50, Claire seven, Ben and they mm-hmm. use text as this really amazing tool to to show you. Now it's more like a father-daughter relationship. Now they're husband-wife. Now mm-hmm. he's like the kid. Um, and so even in that, I'm sure when you pitch that, that's like one of the main things. You're like, yeah, you have we're going to gonna use out, this like, text. This is how
0: we were, to to yeah. We're doing you. title cards for this. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Anyhow, yeah. So it's it's been a learning experience. We're going to practice again tomorrow. Have you pitched before with someone? No, no, I've always been solo. That's a good point. It's really hard because we have very different styles. Mm-hmm. I'm very much like a nonstop talker and she's like a thinker, a pauser. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. you can feel a little bit the disconnect between like my momentum and and not that one is better than the other. Hers feels like more deliberate and mine feels more frantic,
0: but. Well, and, I mean, and to bring it back to the the theme of the show, the reason it's it's not just that you're, quote unquote frantic, you've trained yourself to show your enthusiasm and your passion in a specific way. And I know this for a fact because we've talked about and it. And by the way, I because think the you've,
1: podcast helps a lot in just keeping the conversation going.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Like being able to engage, listen, synthesize, all that stuff, which is another way of saying practice. You can just talk to people about your project and listen to them and vice versa. You don't have to. You don't have to compete podcast. with our podcasts.
1: Okay. Okay, yeah, folks. Yeah, please
0: um but you've trained yourself to to hone a presentational style that has worked well for you um in the commercial space there are plenty of writers i've seen come in who are more pure writers who do not have the presentational chops because they're not doing it twice a week for the last 10 years you know you come in you package things up maybe once a season you pitch something and look, they also are pitching things in the room, in a writer's room, and like like they have to stand up for their own jokes and things like that. But the level of polish and anticipation that we have is different. And so it makes sense that there would be a duality between the two of you. Just to kind of summarize, because we've talked a lot, the real takeaways are keep the stakes apparent, keep the characters apparent, spend most of your time on the premise and finale, and the beats in between wow them as best you can, but make sure that the growth is apparent, the arc is apparent. And ideally that's through a handful of the most exciting set pieces, the things that you're most excited about. And when I say set pieces, especially with a, a podcast, but it could be with anything. I don't mean the coolest action sequence. I mean the beats where major character moments are happening. And ideally some of those are action oriented, but that could be a kiss. That could be a breakup. That could be overhearing a, a conversation, overhearing a conversation, all of that stuff. Yeah. And my one
1: tip for new people is to me, one of the worst things you can be in a pitch is coy it, because, and I've seen people do this too, which is they're like, and you'll find out the ending if you buy the project, mm-hmm. like, the reason uh, we're saying don't, pitch don't the ending is because yeah. if you don't have a good beginning and a good ending, like nothing else matters in, in terms of people believing that you can tell a story. Because anyone can come mm-hmm. up with a good premise and a good setup, but making it also pay off at the end is the hard part. So, yeah,
0: yeah, you're showing that. Also, you're showing that the end matters—that this journey was worth going on. The coyness also. Exhibits a misunderstanding of what this meeting is and what the relationship is. You, you can't hide the ingredients from someone. They're here to buy the ingredients. <laughs> right? So it you might don't be get free Taste it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, no, you need to tell me you're wasting my time and that you don't know means that maybe you're not ready to to do, the, Maybe you need more experience right. before we get into this relationship. And also
1: if you think that like your secret twist that, you know, your sixth sense, it turns out that he was a ghost the whole time is, is the magic that is what you're selling and you don't realize that the execution and how you get there is mm-hmm. m- just as or probably way more important than, way
0: than more you're important, probably way not more important. super experienced. Yeah. 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 I think there's this thing. Where people think that like when they have an awesome idea, they think that's going to be the key that breaks them into Hollywood. And then with any experience, you realize that literally everyone has a ton of incredible ideas. Like a great blockbuster idea is the prerequisite before you even get in the door. Mm -hmm. And
1: one other thing I think that's worth mentioning that actually applies oddly enough to both commercials and narrative is if you can pitch your personal connection to the material, it's amazing. Mm -hmm. And obviously you wrote a story about your niece who uh, is basically raising her parents because they are differently abled or not neuroatypical or whatever, like uh, our guest Matt Smuggler. That's great, but if you're making a commercial for Little Caesars Pizza and Mm
0: -hmm. some guy- Mm -hmm. And you grew up on Little Caesars and like- you know, you make sure that you and your wife always order it with the this spice and that spice or whatever. You know, you love the cheesy bread sticks. That's good, too. Yeah, for sure. And
1: they want to see when you're pitching on the commercial or on the TV show. They want to see how excited you are right about it. Yeah. Like, yeah. oh, I love pizza. It makes me like just the the sound of cheese makes me excited. And that's what I want to hit on here. You know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. OK, so after pitching, assuming you're you got the job. We want to talk real quick about prepping a commercial versus pre- prepping a episodic show or a feature. Maybe let's stick to a feature now cause it's kind of an easier uh, sure. comparison. I personally don't think they're that different. I think they're different from a storytelling point of view. Like you as a director need mm-hmm. to think a lot more about character arcs and rehearsals and where the actors are going and all that stuff. But from a production standpoint, locations cameras crew all those things i I think the only real palpable difference to me is number of locations you know a number of actors Uh, tend to be more but some commercials have 50 locations and 50 actors too
0: yeah i think there's a couple things one i think that the the thoroughness with which one can prep and should prep a 30 second commercial right storyboarding every shot Timing every line of dialogue. All that stuff. Yeah. You kind of can't realistically do that unless you're in something with like, you know, a year of prep. But, like, yeah. It's, and it's, you
1: hear that like Michael Bay and these huge directors don't even storyboard
0: their like action sequences. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But the reason that we're so um, preoccupied with the prep on a 30 second spot is because. The runtime is so specific and so finite that you're really trying to make sure that all of the things you need to get into this 30 seconds happen in the right time and pace, right? Um, but that
1: said, how much time are you spending on that in your prep of a commercial?
0: I mean a significant amount, a couple of days, you know? Yeah. Like, you're worrying like, about timing always, for a couple of days during prep? I am putting together the storyboards, cutting those in recording audio, cutting down all of the potential lifts or whatever. You're, you need revising that on every them. Person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I find it to be a really helpful tool for communicating the vision to the rest of the team and getting agency excited and making sure that they know what I'm intending to make. Because before this we've just talked about it, right? And now they really see it and they see how it works and like I'm using it as an opportunity to reinforce things that I think are going to work, or punch holes in things that I think aren't going to work. There's a lot of politics to them as well, um, and sometimes it's like, "Hey, I really tried this, and I don't think it's going to work," or "Oh, I, I tried it, and I think it's going to work great." Yeah, and then uh, on this last job, the Reddit job, I then did video boards on top of that, just because the set design was so specific in one location in particular, but that's what the, the root of all of that is that you are serving a totally different purpose with commercials. It's about the product, right? And the prep on a narrative piece on a feature, it's about the characters in the story, right? And so who cares if a scene is, five minutes long when you thought it was really going to be four and a half minutes long, right? Like that's not what's, what's important. And so the way that you decide what your locations are, all of those things, the schedule, all of that stuff, the priorities are different, right? And so that's, that's a, a pretty fundamental difference in terms of the way that you see prep working. The, the mechanics are all the same, more or less. Yeah.
1: I think like it's mainly a function of length though, because I'm doing this like one hour long Mm -hmm. branded thing and I'm pretty much shooting it like how I would shoot a one hour TV show or like a short feature or something like I'm breaking down the scene. I'm not storyboarding every shot, you know, Mm -hmm. I have more of like an approach. This is how we shoot these scenes, breakdowns of locations and cast, you know, schedule it. I think we're going to shoot it over the course of six days or something like that. Um, Mm -hmm. so, you know, it, it is it for a product, the product and the client and the agency and the, the, uh, stakeholders are probably a little different than a feature. I've never done like a studio feature, uh, where I'm, I, I have, I don't have the final say, you know, from a technical point of view, I find them to be very similar. And then just from a storytelling point of view, I find like my internal conversations and the conversations with the actors and all that to be different, but I don't know. I, I, I don't find
0: them to be shockingly different. That's the work though. Do you know what I mean? Like that's the directing of it. Like everything else is just preparing for those moments. Yeah.
1: I will say the casting is quite a bit different and cause recently for commercials I've, I really just want to see the actor be, do the four words that they're going to say in the commercial. And just get them you know. nail them take a little bit of direction and that's it and in a longer form thing i want to see that they are thinking about the dialogue that they're mm-hmm. embodying the character that they can maybe
0: improvise a little bit or add to it or help me figure out blocking <sighs> and improv can just show that they understand in another way yeah. It doesn't mean that you necessarily are going to be like, hey, well, this is a riff of palooza Yeah. Go and I it. don't mean it. improv, yeah. jokes, necessarily,
1: yeah. comedy necessarily, but just like yeah. to be able to think like the character. And in commercials, honestly, we don't really need that. Like your look may, might be more important or your vibe or your
0: energy. Yeah. I think uh, the other big shift when it comes to shooting is that there's not necessarily a client and an agency of people looking over your shoulder and so even if there's a studio or an ep or things like that you have more agency over whether or not you think you got it yeah
1: also the stakes are kind of lower in a weird way because let's say you're shooting for five days or 50 days or somewhere in between if you mess up on day one there's probably time to fix what you've done you know in a commercial you're rarely
0: shooting for more than like a week and oftentimes i mean it deba- if you're not returning to the location or you can't steal an insert yeah, or but we've like all that. worked on features where we're like oh the scene's not working let's write a new one halfway through the
1: production sure and sure. then yeah. shoot it right and then it saves the whole movie so but on a commercial That's almost i have never done that you know maybe one yeah. out of a hundred like writing a new scene you know, we might yeah. pivot like, oh, it's raining. So let's see if we can set the scene inside indoors. But that's about as far as you would stretch on a commercial. The shooting, though, now that you moved on to that, like that's where for me, the the timing of the commercial is where I get kind of nuts because I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, this is really funny, but it's just like three seconds too long. You know? Yeah. How, how can we do it? And then I start directing out of fear. I on a narrative, I don't feel like I need a ton of coverage, but on a commercial, I always want to get coverage because I'm just. I know that this shot might be two seconds too long and I need I'll need to cut around it um mm-hmm. in a feature. I'd much rather do like a one or like a steady cam shot that goes over here and maybe I'll get one like an insert shot of a hand picking something up so I can change takes. But I know that if this like you said, if this take is thirty-eight seconds versus twenty-nine
0: seconds, it doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there is that thing of like going from oh, this is exactly what I intended in the scene and I'm going to stick to it to like, you do that enough times where it like doesn't totally work and you're like, well, maybe I'll start covering my butt a little bit more and shooting more coverage just in case to then it becoming generic, you know, like Mm -hmm. coverage isn't inherently bad, but if you're not thoughtful about your coverage, if you're just kind of hosing it down, so to speak, then all of a sudden you're just stuck with a bunch of you know, master two shot over, over scenes. Yeah. Rinse and repeat.
1: This shoot I just did last week, we shot, I wanted to just, I just want to shoot as wide as I could possibly, basically put the widest lens possible, put the camera as far back possible until the agency complained. I just wanted to do wide shots. And then at the end of each scene, I would just put one, like the long lens was like, just get one last final take of this Mm -hmm. person in close up if they need it and today the edits are starting to stream in and they're using a lot of the wide stuff and i think it looks that's cool awesome
0: the wide stuff uh, also uh, we when you're shooting commercials you don't know where the majority of the people are going to be seeing it right are they going to be watching it on their phone in a 9x16 in between Instagram stories or are they going to be watching it on TV? Yeah. Are they going to have audio? Fir- yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Is the sound going to be on or not? Um, you're in a place in your career now where you're pretty aware when there, it's a true broadcast campaign with some digital support mm-hmm. versus a digital campaign that in success could go to broadcast. Right. And so uh, the reason that that's important is because broadcast is passive And audio is always on. So you don't have to say the brand name in the first five seconds in a broadcast spot because you're assuming people aren't changing the channel because they want to watch the rest of The Bachelor. And they're going to sit through your commercial and maybe they're going to go pee or like grab a cookie or whatever, but we don't have any control over that. Um, And and that it's also on a big screen. Mm -hmm. Whereas if it's digital, probably sounds off probably trying to hit that skip YouTube button, all of that stuff. And so I think that is a really distinct difference in terms of the way that you can approach wide shots versus close-ups, all of that stuff. Yeah.
1: That's why I think a good commercial is just so impressive. Like you see the work from uh, like Pinterest and Facebook and the spots they do. There's this uh, awesome WhatsApp campaign right now about privacy. I've been seeing in like nine by 16 on Instagram and I'm like, it's just so well shot, like these great wide shots, great color grade, great lighting, great framing. And I think people see it and they're like, okay, whatever, it's a woman opening a door and talking to some guy. When you, yeah, those those great digital spots are like really hard to nail, mm-hmm. in yeah. my opinion. Well, and if you know that they're digital only, I think that helps. Yeah. You know, yeah. There's this Lego campaign right now that's just so, so good in 9x16. And I'm like so hyper aware of that because mm-hmm. like it's very the easy nine by 16 spots are like people basically the, the UGC like the stuff where people sure. are shooting at yeah. themselves. Like I just got this new thing, this cup holder. Yeah, and it's yeah. amazing. Um, and those work. I mean, you you're I'm sure know more about that than me. Um, but when you see something that you would be proud to have on your reel that also works, that's mm-hmm. that's the magic well, anyway, I, I'd love to hear from you all, like if you feel like you're a dual filmmaker, if you make features and shorts or mm-hmm. commercials and industrials or how they overlap, what What are those skills? And um, we left out a ton of stuff, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. I'm sure we will revisit this topic at some other time. Matt and I are just talking about what we're doing these weeks.
0: <sighs> yeah. So
1: yeah, let us know what you think of the episode also, if you're if you're getting bored of these non-guest episodes we'd love to hear from you at just shoot a pod at gmail.com you can hit us up on instagram you can hit us up on twitter i've been really i don't know i really enjoy interacting with people on instagram recently uh or email emails just shoot a pod at gmail.com we will read everything and we will respond sometimes but we will definitely read it um we'd love to hear from you and yeah if you want
0: to find me uh easiest way is i'm on instagram at o kaplan and i'm at mr matt unlow this episode was edited by noah bayshore thanks noah and produced by tyler small and you're listening to music provided by the free music archive and the artist jazar thanks everyone bye goodbye